I'd like to actually start with a short meditation. And this meditation is called Don't Scratch the Itch. So I'll guide you, even though I may have already explained it just for that sentence. But if we will just do it, it'll just be a few minutes. So if you just do what you need to do to bring the attention and the awareness into the body, you can stay comfortable as you do that. Connecting to an intention to both notice any niggle, any unpleasant physical experience. can be an itch, a tickle, a mild pain somewhere in the body. Having the intention to notice it and then open to it, staying in contact with it, And at the same time, not following the urge that will probably arise to move if it's a pain or to scratch if it's an itch. We're interested in in exploring this. Can we open to an ache, a pain, a tickle, an itch, a discomfort? Can we open to it and turn towards it with an attitude of friendliness, of non-aversion, non-enmity? That's what we're exploring If there's nothing particularly uncomfortable to turn your attention to, then enjoy it and stay open in case something appears in the field. And if you are experiencing some discomfort, noticing what's it like not to follow that urge, not to follow that aversion to the unpleasant experience. And what it's like not to follow the desire to get rid of it, to move, to scratch. Just opening to see what opens up when we do that, when we don't follow that urge, we don't follow that aversion, we don't follow that desire. What is it like and what opens up?
And if you wish, you can, in your own way, your own time, come out of that particular practice. Did anyone notice anything interesting? I'd be interested to hear. There was spaciousness. With an itch or a discomfort or they didn't arise? With an ache in the neck and there was a sense of spaciousness. Anything else that anyone is willing to share? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So in this situation, I'm just going to repeat so everyone hears. In this situation, there was a diminishing in the intensity Uh, But there's also the acknowledgement that that doesn't always happen. Sometimes the opposite happens. Sometimes it it intensifies. And there's a nodding in the front here (laughs) towards both. Yeah. And there was someone else over there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So there was some changing in the ache, but it was just change. Um, But what you noticed was that the kind of sense of more friendliness towards it made it easier to be with. Mm. Great. Anything else? Yes. (laughs) Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, so bringing attention into the body, uh, there was no sense of pain or discomfort, and then that arose, and when you stopped, it went away again. Hmm. Yeah. Anything else? Yes. Mhm. Mhm. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, did everyone hear that? Yeah. Yeah. So remembering that we don't have to scratch the itch in this case connects us to the sense of of possibility and options that we may have. Is that something else or just a hand coming up? Okay. So lots of interesting um, perspectives and I think I'll probably or possibly come back to some of these but the, the, the kind of main theme that I'd like to draw out is how interesting it is yeah so we're we're turning to experience towards experience in a different way, and then there's all these different possibilities there's all these different things that can arise yeah through that 
turning towards. So seeing the habit, knowing the habit, knowing the possibility. Yeah, can be spaciousness, can be dissolving, can be increasing, <laughs> can be a sense of possibility, can be a pain that arises that wasn't there before. Yeah. There can be all kinds of possibilities um, with that with that meeting. And I'd I I I'm hoping to um to speak more about both this quality of interest that we can bring to experience and what it opens up, what it allows. Something that touched me uh, today was, maybe also yesterday, a few people relating an experience that I've also been having, which is being here at Gaia House on retreat in, in the winter and having a very vivid memory of being here on retreat in the summer. And a real kind of sense, a real awareness of, of the difference between those two. Yeah, difference between those two. And it seems like just a really simple, obvious thing. Yeah, of course it's different. You know, winter, summer, long days, short days, mm. sun, not so much sun. Really, it, it can seem like very, very obvious and very, very simple. Uh, but actually, I feel that just seeing that reveals quite a lot that we can uh, learn from. Quite a lot that we can learn from. And one thing it reveals is how much, to what degree, our experience is shaped by conditions. Yeah. To what degree our experience is shaped by conditions. Or another way of saying that is how sensitive we are as human beings. How sensitive we are to, to the environment. So the amount of daylight, the temperature, <laughs> yeah, all of that affects us. We're impacted by it. But the impact that is there is not uh, fixed either. Yeah, so we're sensitive, we're affected, but also how we're affected is not a fixed thing. That too is conditioned by things. Yeah, what we like, what we don't like. Our preferences, our habits, where we grew up, yeah, what we're used to. Yeah, all of that. So really seeing that in such a simple thing, you know, how affected we are, how conditioned we are, how sensitive we are. And also the possibility to see how the way we relate to a certain condition, a certain happening, also shapes the experience that we have. So today... You know, we've had a relatively wet day, yeah, some wind, 
some cold. And I don't think there's anything any of us could have done to change that. I don't think so. Unless you know something I don't know, which is possible. Yeah. So there's nothing we could do to change that. But we can be interested in our relationship just with the itch. What is my relationship to these conditions? Yeah, less light, more wet, more cold. What's my relationship? And what effect does my relationship have on the experience? Yeah, that's one thing we can be interested in. And what happens when I bring interest to that relationship? Does that make sense to people? Yeah. What happens when I bring interest to that relationship, whatever that relationship is? So there may be aversion. Yeah. I don't like cold and wet. I don't want to go out in that or whatever. Why did I book a retreat in December? There may be a version that shows itself in different ways. Now, how does it feel? How does it show itself? And how can I um, attend to it, respond to it, whatever the relationship is? What's the invitation? Or there may be desire. Yeah, I love going out in the cold and wet and blistery. <laughs> If only I could be there all the time. Or, you know, desire for the opposite. Maybe desire. There may be restlessness. I feel really cooped in, stuck in this house with all these people. There may be all kinds of responses. But seeing what is the relationship and what happens to that relationship when I bring interest. Can I see this as an opportunity? Big One of the big questions or invitations that practice sets for us. Can I see this as an opportunity, whatever that this is? Yeah, this event and how I'm relating to it. Can I see that as an opportunity? One of the wonderful things that we learn, that we see through practice, is if we inquire, if we bring interest, if we explore our relationship to something, that is also then transferable to other things. Yeah. So if I explore my aversion to, um, you know, I, I'll still use the weather in this case, just because. If I explore my aversion to the weather and I understand more how that operates and what the interest can do, what the response can be, that is then something I can transfer when I meet aversion in other situations. Yeah, it's not stuck to that particular experience. And that's huge. Yeah, that's really kind of why we practice, why we're interested in insight. Because we, we see things, we learn, and then we can transfer them. We can apply them to other things in our lives, to other situations. It's not limited. So if you've been interested in your relationship to the weather, 
that's something we can then also apply to the mind and vice versa. Because um, our mind, you may have noticed this, also experiences weather-like arisings and passings. There's storms, there's rain, there's sunshine. It's a little bit more random than the weather patterns are. A little bit more random. You can get anything at any time. So when the mind feels settled, calm, peaceful, joyful, you know, pick whatever you'd like out of that list, we can really take time to enjoy that. Yeah. As well as being interested in what the relationship is around that. There'll be a relationship to that as well. And when the mind is ill at ease or unsettled, can we bring interest to that experience? Even though it's not pleasant, even though we don't like it, even though we don't want it. Can we bring interest to that experience? There's a beautiful... definition of of meditation uh, in Tibetan. So the Tibetan word for meditation is gom, G-O-M. And it literally means to become familiar with, to get to know. That's meditation in Tibetan. And I love that. Because it means, it reminds us that what we're doing in the practice is creating the conditions to become more intimate with our experience, become more interested in our experience, get to know our humanity as it manifests through this mind and body. Really such a powerful reminder not about some state. Although again, (laughs) if there's happiness, if there's peacefulness, if there's joy, if there's a really calm and concentrated mind, enjoy it. (laughs) But there isn't that value distinction. Any mind, any state of mind, any state of heart, is an opportunity, is an invitation to get to know, to meet, to learn. And this can sound really simple, but it's very, very radical, actually. Very radical. I, I get kind of sometimes get a lot of images, and when I was reflecting on this, it's like, it's like we're turning things upside down. Yeah, we're going against the stream of our conditioning, of constantly having preference and demand. Yeah, this is good and this is bad. I want this and I don't want that. This means I'm doing it well and this means I'm doing it not well. Yeah, all those movements of mind. And what happens if we flip it? And we say, everything's an opportunity. 
everything's an opportunity, everything's an open door, everything's an invitation. It won't necessarily mean that things are comfortable (laughs) in the way we like them to be. But it opens up so much possibility for a deep sense of ease with life. Of um, attunement with the mystery and the fluidity of our lives. Like what happens when we go out for a walk in the rain, even when we don't really want to. Anyone ever had that experience? I don't want to. (laughs) And then you put on your coat and you go out. And it can be, you know, completely liberating. Completely liberating. I remember um, at one time being on 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 a walk in France, a meditation walk with a lot of other people. And we left camp in the morning we'd pack up our things and put them in a truck so we'd only have a little day bag and uh, it was beautiful clear sunny morning in the south of France and we went out nobody thought of taking a raincoat or an umbrella the south of France (laughs) and then at some point the rain started and you're just in the middle of nowhere (laughs) nowhere to hide no raincoat no umbrella And that incredible exhilaration of just being out there, open, unprotected, getting completely drenched, completely. So even if you haven't had that experience, I think, just looking at your faces, most of us have, we know that taste. We've had something like that, of going against the stream of what we don't like, going against the stream of what we don't want. And seeing how the world opens up when we do that. The world opens up when we do that. Apparently, Tanisa Rubiku, um, the teacher and translator I can't remember exactly the quote Nath I don't remember if you do but he used to say to his, stu- to, to his students um, if you're hungry I think it's like this I may be paraphrasing if you're hungry don't eat if you're tired <laughs> don't sleep and if it's raining and you don't want to go out for a walk um, just as a kind of more hardcore way of saying what I'm trying to say yeah. that power of going against that stream, but with a lot of gentleness in the interest. So to a great degree, we're already doing that. I'm just trying to highlight it. We just did that with this don't scratch the itch meditation. Yeah, not going with that stream of habits and conditions, of shifting, of moving, of removing the uncomfortable. Yeah. We're also 
Uh, we also have been doing that with the metta attitude that we've been practicing of bringing an attitude of friendliness in a way into places that we usually don't. Yeah, that's also a way of going against the stream of our habits and our conditioning. And we've also, to varying degrees, probably between different people, been doing that with emphasizing the comfortable or pleasant breath. Yeah, For some of us, that's really hard. Practice can feel nice. Nah should feel hard so all of that going against kind of opening up the field of possibility right now I'm going against the stream of the clock I think I need to ignore it and trust in your patience and goodwill. One thing that's really helpful in doing this yeah, is the first is to, to be interested in our experience, as I've been saying, um, and to notice what is present. Yeah. Just like we were doing in that short meditation, there's an itch or a discomfort. What's the response? What's the relationship? And what allows me to not be controlled, as somebody said, by that? And another way we can say that is that what, what we discover as we practice is that there's always a way of looking that is affecting how we experience life. Yeah. And these ways of looking can be quite transparent to us. So we don't see them. There's always a way of looking that's affecting us. And learning to recognize, A, that there's a way of looking, and B, what that is, can be really, really helpful in opening up the space. So, for example, there's aversion. That's a way of looking. That's coloring experience. Or there's restlessness. That's a way of looking. Affects how I how I experience things. So recognizing what way of looking is at play, what's present right now, how it affects the experience, and what else is possible. Yeah, what else is possible? What other way of looking can I apply or can I bring in? And when we take time, like we're doing here, to sit still, to walk slowly, and to really pay attention to our experience, we can get really close up to some of the common ways of looking that arise for us, both as individuals and as human beings. Most of them are not personal. Yeah, we may have a tendency to one more than the other, or some more than others but they're human manifestations. And yet they color our experience, they shape our experience. This is so important to remember and to notice. 
So as we practice, as we bring our attention directly to our experience, we can see that one thing that can happen is that we get quite fixated and absorbed in either getting rid of something or getting or desiring something, wanting something to happen. Anyone had either of those? The itch, the bell, the lunch, the good meditation, the bad meditation, the perfect body. I always remember when I say this, I remember a story from Sharon Salzberg. Um, I think it was one of her um, early retreats in India when she was very young and she was experiencing a lot of body pain. And uh, she she spent the whole retreat, I think it was pretty long, spent the whole retreat planning uh, all the yoga retreats that she would do <laughs> to get her body really supple and fit and so that she could then go back on retreat and have a retreat with a body that didn't suffer from pain. And, you know, I love these stories because that's what we do, right? We all know that. Might not be the whole retreat, might be just one sitting or a few minutes, but we get caught up in that. Yeah, the desire for something else, the aversion to what is here. And all of that brings contraction. Yeah, this is really, really helpful to see. These ways of looking, yeah, looking at the experience from the aversion, from pushing it away, or from the desire. Yeah, it creates contraction in the in the in the body and the being. Yeah, we can feel ourselves getting small, smaller, narrower, tunnel vision, tunnel vision. Or we feel too sleepy. Or we feel too restless. So we can't meditate because we're too sleepy or we're too restless. And then we have aversion to the restlessness or the sleepiness. And we have desire for the absence of that. And it all spins off again. And these states too of the restlessness or the sleepiness, they're also states of contraction. We can get to know that in the body. Or we can feel frustrated, confused, lost, lacking any kind of faith in anything. Yeah. Ourselves, the teachings, the teachers, we know you're sitting there losing faith in us. We understand. <laughs> yeah, that's also a movement of mind. Yeah, a way of looking that arises and that too we can know as a contraction in the body. So with all of these, a shrinking of the space, becoming more dense, more small, more narrow, and also an identification. Yeah, if, you, if you feel it right now or if you reflect on moments when any of these have been present, desire, aversion, restlessness, tiredness, doubt, any of these have been present, they become huge. Yeah? That's all there is. That's all there is. And we become that. We think, this is who I am. This is what is. Just this struggle with experience. Just this contracted feeling. Just this not wanting. Or wanting. 
and everything else disappears. It's just that. Just that. It's like a magic trick. So many of you have probably recognized these energies that I've just mentioned, um, traditionally called the five hindrances. And I'll just say them again. Desire and aversion, restlessness and dullness, and doubt. So the cord hindrances, what I'm going to try and convince you of this evening in the time I have left, is that they're cord hindrances, but actually they're opportunities. Yeah, they're an open door. They're an invitation. So the Buddha had a wonderful simile for these uh, five kind of energy states that arise, um, which I find very, very helpful. And the simile is that we look at our mind, we see our mind as a, a pond or a pool of water in the forest. And that pond or pool is very, very clear. Water is very still. It's very clear. You can really see the bottom very, very clearly. When desire arises, it's as if somebody threw colored dye into that pool. And it's all, ev anything that you see in the water is colored with that dye. When aversion arises, this is my favorite one, you may have picked up on that. When aversion arises, it's like the water is boiling. Yeah, so there's bubble and steam. Yeah, and it's like a rolling boil. So again, we cannot see clearly what is there. When dullness, the, the traditional words are sloth and this is a word I never pronounce correctly. Turpo? Torpo? Huh? Please, the English person is saying it correctly. Okay. Sloth and torpor. Got it. Um, when they are present, it's as if the pool is covered in algae. That's completely choking the pool. Yeah. It's stagnant. And there's that dullness, that low energy that we all know. When there's restlessness, it's as if there's a strong wind blowing over the surface of the water. Yeah, so there's constantly waves on the surface of the water. And again, we cannot see clearly. Cannot see clearly. And when there's doubt, it's as if the pool um, has been really agitated and disturbed. So it's all muddy. All the mud from the bottom is mixed into the water. So again... The bottom of the pool is obscured. You cannot see clearly. And I love this. Um, I love this simile. For me, it's very, very powerful because I feel like it really gives us this sense of how, when these are present, how they shape what we see. Yeah, they become what we see through, and we cannot see clearly. Yeah, what we see is the dye of the desire the bubbling of the, of the aversion, yeah, the waves of the restlessness, the algae. That's what we see. We don't see what is actually there. It shapes what we see, shapes what we experience. Ways of looking. 
so we can get an intimation if the Buddha spoke about these, and he spoke about them a lot, that sense of not personal. This is, these are human manifestations. They arise in the human mind. Yeah. They're not who I am. They're not who I am. Just like the rain and wind is not who I am. It's arising, it's affecting my experience. But it's not just that, yeah, that's not all there is. So the hindrances can become, if we don't reject them, yeah, if we don't uh, necessarily respond to them as problems, are getting that hinder us like their name suggests something that's getting into in my way if we don't reject them but actually bring interest to them they become doorways they become invitations they become um, a path their path so just like we were doing with the itch opening without losing contact and bringing interest to the experience and through that interest, we create space. Yeah, that sense of this is all there is. And what I'm seeing through this lens of the desire, the aversion, whatever is there, the doubt, that is the truth. All of that starts to become less solid, less certain, less believable. You still with me? Yeah, good. More or less. It's helpful to remember that the Buddha, as well as giving that beautiful simile and others, um, he spoke about these hindrances as such an intrinsic part of the human conditions that they don't fully disappear until we reach full awakening, whatever that is. Yeah. So they are with us, yeah? They're part of our path, part of our path. That in itself is a reason to become interested in them, I think. They're going to stick around, arise and pass like anything else. So if you find yourself practicing with a hindrance present, Remember, you're normal. You're a human being that's not fully awakened yet. That's a pretty huge percentage of the population. Yeah. So again, that can help us take it less personally and have more space. And if you find yourself not in the presence of any of the hindrances, and that also happens, and it happens a lot, happens a lot more than we notice. Notice. Pay attention to that. Yeah, right now there's contentment. Right now there's ease. Right now there's simplicity. Pay attention. Enjoy. Get to know that experience too. Become familiar with the absence of the hindrance, the presence of of whatever it is that is there. 
because that becomes like a guiding light, like an inner compass that can help us get back there. You got a little bit more energy? Okay. So I'll, I just want to offer um, a few more practical, hopefully practical tips, practical um, attitudes, approaches to how to work with the, with the hindrances, um, both generally and specifically. And some things that are helpful generally with any of of these particular hindrances or any way of looking that arises that um, creates a sense of smallness, narrowness, negativity, and colors our experience um, towards struggle. So the first one is patience. Yeah. Having patience. This is what's arising right now. The second, which I've said several times, is this is not personal. This is not personal. This is not who I am. And it's also not about me. It doesn't make me a good person or a bad person, a good meditator or a bad meditator. Bringing attention to the changeability within the experience of a hindrance. Yeah, so we may be experiencing um, restlessness, but that restlessness is not fixed. It's not the same in every moment. It ebbs and flows. It's stronger and uh, weaker. Yeah. It can have a really, um, you know, hot energy. It can have a cooler energy. So we, we start paying attention to the detail particularly to the changeability, to, to the detail and the changeability of, of that experience. Relaxing the contraction in the body. Always useful. <laughs> but you, see, you experience a hindrance, feel the contraction. Where is there a contraction in the body? And relax. And if you don't find a contraction anywhere in particular, just relax the body anyway. Relax the body, scan through and relax the body. Play with the breathing. Playfulness with the breathing. And I'll, I'll probably, I'll say more with each one, what can particularly be helpful, but just a sense of playfulness with the breathing as a way of meeting that experience in the mind. And unsurprisingly, metta. Meta as a response is always available. You can always direct it somewhere. Yeah. Meta to the sense of contraction. Meta to the sense of the small self. Yeah. Meta to the suffering that is there with the hindrance. Yeah. You can always bring meta. Meta to someone else. Sometimes that's what helps us snap out. Yeah. You can always bring meta. Meta just as an attitude of friendliness towards experience and sometimes just remembering metta what does that do and what would that mean so now a bit a little bit more specific with each one that was just the generals so bear with me stick it out hang in there 
So with desire. And there's lots more ways of working with this, and I'm sure you'll discover many of them for yourself if you're interested. So desire. Noticing how real the object of desire seems. This is a great one. (laughs) So if we notice the contraction of desire, the desire is fixated on an object that the bell will ring. Yeah, for example. Just notice, take a moment to notice, how real does the object of the desire feel? And really feel that. I know that we all know that it feels real, but experience that. And then question, will that really make me happy? When the bell rings, will that really make me happy? Not as a way of depressing ourselves, you know, how many bells have I heard ring in my life? How many times do they actually make me happy? So we can't even question that. Is that as real as it seems? That thing. Another way we can relate to desire is to move the attention from the object. So what we can notice with desire is that there's this energy, and this energy is fixated around a thing, and it's like we're, we're doing this. Yeah, we're reaching out and holding out, trying to hold on or reach something. Yeah. And kind of imagining the body can be really helpful if you're like me. That's why I'm doing it. Yeah. And what happens if we shift the energy from this, from the object, back into the energy of that movement of desire? Yeah, we can do that. We shift from the object, we're like, onto the object, and we actually shift it back into the body where we feel the energy of that desire. And then directly getting to know that energy itself. Yeah. Because that energy moves from object to object. Yeah. From this bell to that bell, to lunch, to my next retreat, to whatever. And it moves. But the energy is something that we can stay with and explore. Feel the care. So sometimes or always, there'll be something at the root which is actually can be wholesome. Yeah. Wanting to take care of myself, wanting to be good to myself. Distorted. But there can be something in there that's actually wholesome, that's actually good for us. There can be a care in there. If we can feel that and stay with that, again, that shifts the experience, changes the experience. And with a breath, tuning into a breath that is fulfilling and pleasant. So tuning in to whatever in the breath can be pleasant and fulfilling. So often long breath, or the comfortable breath, the pleasant breath that we've been playing with. And an antidote to desire is to cultivate gratitude and contentment. So that's something we can do all the time. And then we can bring it in. 
What's good enough? And we can ask that in the moment. What's good enough as it is right now in my experience? Can this breath be good enough? Yeah, what right now in my experience is good enough? So that's desire. And you may have picked up already that desire and aversion are actually two sides of the same coin. If one is there, the other will be there. Actually, not two different things. So if we go back to the, to the itch, there's aversion to the itch and there's the desire to scratch, yeah, to get rid of the itch. Okay, and there's always that two-way thing. And sometimes we'll, um, it'll be easier for us to see one or to feel one, to experience one than the other, but they're always there together. So with aversion, recognizing the aversion yeah, and acknowledging that there's something right now that I don't want. Yeah, it might be something painful or uncomfortable. Right now, something is arising that I don't want. Can I be with it? It's a big question. Can I be with it for one breath? Yeah, this is the practice. Can I be with it for one breath? Noticing if I'm adding aversion to the aversion. That's wonderful. Am I adding aversion to the aversion? Yes. But can I see it? Yeah. Can I explore it? We have a, a natural instinct in the body and in the mind to contract and to um, push away the unpleasant. It's like a, probably like a survival mechanism. Yeah. So in the body, now scientific research shows that if there's a pain in the body, the body contracts around that pain as if it can kind of keep it separate from the rest of the body with the contraction. And the same thing happens in the mind. We contract around it. And I think they did some research around um, chronic pain, and they saw that with some kinds, and this is really, it's not everything, it's not all pain, it's not all chronic pain. With some types of chronic pain, 70% of the pain that people feel is the contraction of the body around the pain. And people can learn to relax that. We can learn to relax that. So what's your huge reduction? Yeah. So that, that happens in our bodies. It happens in our minds. So am I adding aversion to the aversion? And a lot of people here have, you know, been meeting this and working with this, and been sharing about it. You know, just finding ways to allow the discomfort and to loosen the aversion that, and the, con- and the contraction that come up around it. So the breath with aversion, soothing, releasing, even loving if you can. Yeah. So soothing breath, whatever that means to you. How can I breathe in a way that's soothing? How can I breathe in a way that's releasing? And the antidote to aversion is metta.
in all of these explorations, we're interested to notice how the experience changes as we attend to it with interest and kindness. So, so seeing that also, not just what hap- not just that it happens, not just bringing the attention in that way, but also paying attention to is there a ch- is there a shift? Is there a change? And what is that? Right. Restlessness and tiredness or sloth or turpa are also two sides of one coin. Yeah. Imbalances of energy. Too much energy, too little energy. Yeah, or imbalances of calm and energy in the being. It can be helpful to see it that way. And what we're looking for with the restlessness is more space. Yeah, creating spaciousness and with the dullness or the tiredness ways of energizing. So with dullness and tiredness, notice if you're too warm. I've, we've said this, I think we've both said this. Um, do you need to take off some layers? How does that affect the experience? And when I say dullness, it includes dream states and fuzzy states, just to be clear. Reaffirming uprightness, standing up, meditating with the eyes open. Yeah? All of these are ways of um, opening to the experience and investigating it. With the breathing, more attention to the in-breath. Yeah, more attention to the in-breath. So it's not that we breathe in more, but we bring more attention to that and the energy that comes into the body. And my personal favorite, imagining white light. That's from the Buddha. I didn't make it up. Sometimes people ask us, are you sure you're teaching Buddhist stuff? Mostly. But this one is directly from the Buddha. White light coming in to the top of the head or anywhere in the head where it feels helpful and brightening the mind. So all of that can help. And interest yeah, is the key. Yeah, having interest in the experience. It's one of the most tricky ones because it's difficult to have interest with dullness in the mind. But playing with it and exploring it. And appreciating the calm in the dullness. So, so much of our time in practice, we're trying to get calm. And we get calm and that gets out of balance and then we don't like it because we're falling asleep. (laughs) So sometimes appreciation yeah, okay, so it's a bit too much calm, but there's calm. Yeah, that's nice. Yeah, and that can already shift something. Okay, and brighten up a little bit. So restlessness, um, it's actually in the, in the text, it's restlessness and worry. So restlessness in the body and worry and anxiety in the mind. So what we're looking for is to create space. There's a lot of energy in agitation, yeah, a lot of energy in restlessness, mental restlessness or physical restlessness. If we can, again, connect to that energy, then um, that's a really good beginning. So connecting to the energy. Um, and the other way is to increase the space. So we can stretch the awareness, which we may or may have not done yet. I think we've done a little bit expanding the awareness through the body to have a larger space of awareness or using sound. Yeah, to open up the space. There's a bigger space in which 
the experience of restlessness, the energy of restlessness is moving around. And I think we can all imagine if there's something very agitated, like a puppy running, running around in a really small space, it looks like... right. And if you take that puppy out to the park and you let it run in a really big space, it looks really different. Right? Can you imagine that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that's what we're doing with the mind. We're creating more space so that agitation doesn't get so um, kind of hitting against the walls all the time. So it can be more free. The breathing, the whole body breathing as much as possible, the whole body breathing, inviting calm and release. Yeah, so the whole body breathing and on the out breath, really feeling that letting go um, that comes when we breathe out. The last one is doubt. I might need to leave that. Will you be able to go to sleep if I don't talk about doubt? No. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah, should we take a vote? No, I'm not going to do that. Okay, so doubt, again, is a really strong human energy that we have. And to recognize that, it comes in different forms. Yeah, sometimes it's very paralyzing. Yeah, we kind of freeze with it. Um, sometimes it's like it's spinning around. Yeah, so it can help. It can be helpful to actually recognize what is the energy of doubt like. Yeah, that again gives us some space. And recognizing, okay, this is doubt. That's all it is. It's doubt. I don't need to believe it. I don't need to make to to make um, all the crucial decisions of my life right now when this mind state is present. Yeah. So we can just give some space, give some time um, to that experience. And remembering that um, doubt also has very healthy aspects. Yeah, Questioning things is a really big part of our practice. Exploring for ourselves. Yeah, What does this mean? How does this apply? That's a really big aspect of our practice. So differentiating between when the doubt is um, debilitating. Yeah? And when it's actually useful. And sometimes it'll come mixed together. Yeah? So again, we need to get to know it a little bit more. To be interested in it. And with the doubt, I'm going to give you something, quite a different tip. I forgot about this. If I'd remembered I had these tips, I wouldn't have given you the option of opting out. Because um, I love them. So... This is a different way of, of working with, um, with, with a hindrance, um, but it, it connects to yeah, get, getting a bigger picture, a feeling of a, of a bigger picture. So in the, in the stories about the Buddha and the stories about the night or the process of his awakening, um, the story is that he sat down under the Bodhi tree with a commitment not to move from under that tree until he had understood how to overcome suffering. Yeah, so that was his commitment. He would not move from under that tree until he understood how to overcome suffering. And in the story, the story is that uh, Mara, who kind of is, uh, represents the hindrances, <laughs> 
um, arrived and kind of was throwing everything he could at the Buddha to try and distract him from that commitment. So he tried to tempt him with, you know, delicious food and um, attractive women and to scare him off with, um, you know, scary demons and uh, etc. And um, he threw and rain and wind and the whole, the whole catastrophe. He threw everything at him. And at some point, one of the images that's used um, is that the Buddha just kept saying, I see you, Mara. Yeah, I see you, Mara. I recognize this is, this is Mara. This is hindrances. This is a human manifestation. I recognize. And every time he would kind of put his hand up. And so one of the ways of working with doubt is to actually put your hand up like that and feel what it does in your body. You can do it right now if you like. You don't have to. And find the right place. And feel the softness. There's a softness in the palm, but there's also a clarity. And there's an alignment of the whole body. So that's one really powerful tool that we can use. And the other is um, the last thing that Mara threw at the Buddha on that night was um, he said to him, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? That you think you have the right and the possibility to understand the causes of suffering. Who do you think you are? We know that voice, don't we? And the Buddha put his hand down, and you can see it in both these postures, this one and the one I'm about to show you, um, in lots of, of statues of the Buddha, sitting cross-legged, and he just puts his hand down and touches the earth. And he says, the earth is my witness that I have the right. Yeah, so just putting, whatever way, putting your hand down and touching the earth, the earth is my witness that I have the right to understand the causes of suffering, to be free of suffering. And both of these can be really helpful when doubt arises. Really helpful. And we use that connection of the body and the mind to, to remind ourselves. So they're called the five hindrances, but actually they're all teachers. And we can say that everything is a teaching. Everything that we experience can be a teaching. It's about how we open to it, yeah? how we relate to it. That's where the possibility is. And I'll just end this very long talk with an apology <laughs> and one more story from, from that night of the Buddha's um, awakening, which is at some point when the when Mara was throwing all these things at him, they were like arrows, yeah, shooting at the Buddha. And the Buddha sat there in meditation, working with the hindrances, 
And then the image is that somewhere in mid-flight, they transformed from arrows to flowers. From arrows to flowers, from hindrances to teachers. And instead of being showered with arrows, the Buddha was showered with flowers. That can also be a helpful image to use. So let's have a a quiet moment to, to end. may we all remember that we have a right to practice, to inquire, to open to life, to understand the causes of suffering and to overcome them. And may our practice together be a light and a nourishment towards interest, gentleness, compassion and wisdom in our own hearts and in the world that we share. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.